we are working our way through the book of Romans, and, and it, although it looks like we stalled, we've been on Romans 12, 1 and 2, and, and will for just a teeny, teeny bit more. I want to talk to you tonight about unconforming yourself to the pattern of this world, yet staying relevant to today's culture. Here's where we want to go. Uh, the, the, the plan is, in the study, to a little word study that we'll do to show the setup of this world's system. Uh, a way of thinking, a way of posing our lives that is designed to distract us from the good, perfect, and acceptable will of God that he talks about. So, so there's this worldly system, what it is. I want to identify that. How we're infected with it, how it needs to be resisted. And then I want to close at the very end with a couple of points. Because one would think that if Christian people resist the world in the way I'm going to talk about, that it would make them irrelevant to the culture in which they live. And I want to argue that the exact opposite. That it is by... Um, refusing to be conformed to this world, that the church has a voice that is most relevant to the surrounding culture. So that's the plan tonight. That's where we want to go. You'll be the judge of whether or not we get there. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And then last week we looked at this, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect, valuing, appraising the will of God. Remember I used the illustration of the gold mine, bringing gold up but not telling a person what it's worth. Tonight I want to look at that phrase, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And, and Paul seems to say, flat out, that this world is out to obstruct me from focusing my life on God. He seems to imply that the world, the world applies pressure. He says it actually tries to squeeze my life into the wrong shape, to squeeze God out of my thinking. And so that warning, don't, don't be conformed to this world. Don't let it shape you. Hard. Don't let the culture around you press your life into its shape. If you fit the world's shape, you're the wrong shape, and you're your life and the message of your church will have no relevance to the needs of the culture in which you live. So I want you to think about those, those words just for a minute. Do, do not be conformed to this world. Because I think there's a right way to read that and there's a wrong way to read it. Let me tell you what I think the wrong way is. The wrong way is to think Paul is telling us just to avoid doing Anything that would 
influence us into carelessness and wickedness and what the church used to call worldliness. We don't use the word as much as we should anymore. So Paul is saying, don't be worldly, don't be bad, don't be sinful. Now that's true, it's absolutely true, but it's, I think it's incomplete. That way of hearing those words, it assumes that we are presently sort of neutral, morally neutral in our motivations, in our desires, and, and we're being called, here we are, we're being called not to contaminate ourselves with the world. That's one way to read those verses. I don't think that's all Paul is saying, because if, if we're just sort of morally neutral and Paul's saying, don't tip your life in a bad direction, tip it in a good direction. If that's all Paul is saying, it's hard to understand why he seems to press this need for our minds to be renewed and our lives to be transformed, be transformed, like changed. Those, those pleas from Paul, they seem, to, they seem to reveal something that's not quite right in my heart or your heart. Something that needs divine help. Something that needs renewing. Something that needs transforming. I think the right way to read Paul's command to not be conformed to this world, I think the right way is to read that and see Paul is saying we're all, we're all working against something inside our own skins. We're, we're all working against. We're not neutral inside. Since the fall, mankind in general, there's something that naturally shapes our lives in the wrong way. So, so you have to start with unconforming. Do not be conformed to this world. Stop. That's step one. But... Be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you'll prove what is good and acceptable and perfect, the will of God, your spiritual worship. We don't start from neutral. We have to start with unconforming ourselves to the shape of this world. I can't, you can't, I can't just pick up building blocks of righteousness and sort of set them into place and, and build my life like a divine Lego. I desperately need the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. And that mercy starts undoing something before it starts doing something. Here's where else I would get that in the Scriptures. Psalm 1, 1 and 2 Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Stop. And you'll notice the first verse is not about doing anything. It's three things we're not supposed to do. But his delight, now, now we're going to learn what, what to do. His delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law, he meditates day and night. But he does that as a result of, the fruit of, he's not walking in the counsel of the wicked, he's not standing in the way of sinners, he's not sitting in the seat of mockers. There's an undoing just as surely as there will be a doing. 
You can see the same thing in the New Testament. Here's, here's uh, from Titus, chapter 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared. When did the grace of God appear? In Jesus Christ. It was made visible. God's always been gracious, but it appeared. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. How do you know? What does salvation do? 12. Training us to renounce. Here's step one. Renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And then two, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age. So it's just such an obvious pattern. It doesn't even need comment. The, the references, Psalm 1, 1 and 2, Titus 2, 11 and 12, and our text, Romans 12, 1 and 2, there's this pattern. First, there's unconforming. Don't get in the wrong shape. Then comes this transformation by the renewing of your mind. Don't be conformed to this world, 12.2. And then, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. So we don't start from neutral. The God of this age, the devil, he's had a head start on my mind since the fall with Adam and Eve. Since the fall, turning toward God always requires turning away from something else. Always. Always. Takes constant diligence to avoid having your mind and then your whole being squeezed into the wrong shape. Do not be conformed to this world. We, how can I say it? You have to, you have to erase you have to uncopy something first. That's what this text is all about. So point number one. Understand the nature of worldliness and the posing of our souls. And I'll tell you why I chose that word. Now I want to do a little bit of a word study. I hope it doesn't bore you to tears because I, I don't think you can understand what Paul is saying without this little bit of background. Do not be conformed to this world. That word conformed, it's a jawbreaker in the Greek. Saskamatizo. It means to, to assume a certain form or figure. That's the exact definition. Conformed. Saskamatizo. To assume a certain form, a certain shape. You can borrow from that great theologian, Madonna. It's all about how we pose our lives. That's really what it's about. How we're shaped. The stance we take. The, the things we admire and mimic. The root of that word, you would know. The root of that word is schema, from which we get our English word scheme. The, the scheme of things. According to the scheme of things, this is the way it's going to go. A meaning, there's, there's this shape, there's this track, according to the scheme of things, here's how it's going to move ahead. So that's, that's the root of that word, don't be conformed. There's a, there's a, a shape, a posing, a scheme. Now with that background, you can easily see why the various forms of that same word are sometimes translated, another word you'll know, fashion. So, not used negatively at all, but here's, here's Stephen as he's 
facing his own death. Acts 7.44, especially in the old King James. Our fathers had a tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the, see, the fashion that he had seen. That's the same word, schema. So Stephen talks about the tabernacle, the way Moses built the tabernacle. And Stephen's point is, Moses didn't just make it up. He didn't sit there and do a drawing and say, this would be nice, let's do it like that. Saying, no, God gave him a schema, a pattern. He followed it. Here's the same word again in 1 Corinthians 7, 31 in the old King James. And, and they use... They that use this world as not abusing it for the fashion of this world passeth away. So you see just the use of that word schema as fashion. You know how quickly fashions come and go? Skinny jeans, big lapels, broad shoulders, and they change and change and change. He says that, that's, that's the way this is, the fashion of this world. Don't be conformed to it, Paul is saying. This shape, the fashion, the scheme of things in this world. And here's why. John says that the world creates an image that is nothing more than like a vapor. Nothing more than than skinny jeans. And it's going to pass away. It's going to change. 1 John 2, 16 and 17. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, pride and possessions, is not from the Father, but is, but is from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So this is, this is what the world does. It demands, it demands that we, we pose it demands a, a certain fashion. There's a scheme. All those words are tied together. So, so the devil tailors things, models things that, that make devotion to Christ Jesus almost impossible. It's Satan's chief ploy. He, he preys on weakness. He preys on my desire for acceptance. He preys on my desire to fit in with the fashion of this present age. I know I took a little time with that, but we'll never understand the nature of Paul's command not to conform to this world until we see exactly what worldliness is. It isn't one specific thing. It's a, it's a scheme. It's a way of setting up all of our lives, particularly our desires, our affections, and our values. And the spirit of the age has this tendency to cause all of us to pose our lives after the models of this world. And, and here's the sin. The sin of this is that it's a distortion of both the way we were made in the image of God and the purpose of redemption and belonging to Christ. The scheme of this age denies both of those things. Okay, point number two. Let me just stop. 
I will never, I will never progress in my Christian walk in a world like this until I sense the, the fundamental, the fundamental phoniness of the life of the world around me. Until I see it as being nothing more than just that, a fashion, an image. If, if, I, if I ever don't see it like that, one that's fading away, it will be almost impossible to devote my life to the cause of Christ when the world says, that's not, no, 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 that's not the look we're going for, Don. That's not the look we're going for. So it's such an important point of understanding. That's why I labor with those words just for a minute. Two, the call to unconformity to the pattern or the fashion of this world is first, the first call in preparing our minds for renewing by the Spirit of God. Maybe we can start to see how this fits together. Our text, our text calls us to renewed minds by studying and treasuring God's redeeming grace. Therefore, I beseech you by the mercies of God that you present yourself. Why don't, why don't more people treasure God's mercy and grace in Jesus Christ? Why, why don't people just devour all that can be devoured that magnifies and explains and rehearses the loving, forgiving mercy of God in Christ? I mean, there's lots of answers to that question, I guess, but the, the one that's difficult to swallow is, well, mostly people don't want to. They don't want to treasure the mercies of God in Christ. They could. And there's nothing stopping them. There are no laws as of yet in this country forbidding church attendance, Bible study, prayer, fasting, or any such thing. Why isn't everyone? Why isn't society in general hungry for God's mercy in Christ Jesus? Because our culture, our society, and much of the church is increasingly fascinated by the fashion, the model, the images of this age. And, and here's the primary mark of the fashion of the age in which we live. Here's the primary mark of it. It's found in Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness... And here's the phrase. Here is the scheme of this age. Suppress the truth. The world's style is to make no room for divine truth. Paul says the world's fashion, the way it poses itself, it's to suppress God in its mind. But... but how does it do this? Why don't Christians reject a world that would do such a terrible thing? That's a very key question. Christians don't reject the world in anger because of the way it suppresses God's truth, especially in North America. The style of this world is to suppress truth not by renouncing it and fighting it, but by distracting. There's no apparent battle with God in this world. He's simply drowned out and we dance to whatever tune is playing the loudest. 
So it's a good thing for a church once in a while to sit back and say, what am, what am I doing? What am I doing to unconform myself to this world's fashion? What, what steps do I take to get off the world's runway? Before I turn to God in devotion, in prayer, in service, in love, what am I consciously turning away from? John says you can't love God and the world at the same time. Okay, point number three. Fundamentally, God wants us to see our lives in this world differently than we are being trained to see them. And, and one divinely given tool to help in unconforming my life to the world around me, one divine tool that God has given is the reminder that this is all fading away. It's in 1 John 2, 15 to 17. I already read a bit of this. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, pride in possessions, it's not from the Father. It's from the world. So, so there, there's this God speak and world speak, and world speak is louder. And so God tries to, tries to say, and 17, and the world is passing away along with its desires. Whoever does the will of God abides forever. So remember, the fashion of this world is, it's just, it's just that. It's uh, pretending. It's something that isn't really true. It's not really lasting. It's a frantic attempt to hide from the way God has created things. It's a way of tuning out his voice with the distraction of the age. Four. Only pilgrims. I said I wanted to come to this near the end. You would think then, given everything I've said, and so we recognize that this world's best attempts to lure our hearts toward itself, we recognize that they're, that they're fake. That they're just, they're just like a fashion, an image with no substance. We, we recognize that. You would think if we know that and proclaim that, that that would put us out of touch with this world in terms of ever being of any redemptive value. I want to show you now why that isn't the case, though you think it would be the case, why it isn't. Four, only pilgrims can have true relevance to this world for the displaying of the mercies of God in all their redeeming beauty. I don't know what you notice. I read a lot of stuff by pretty contemporary church leaders and writers and bloggers, and the contemporary voice in Christendom has really latched on to the word journey. Everybody's on a journey. You're on your journey. I'm on my journey. My journey toward God. My journey through this. My journey through that. Everybody's journeying. It's striking to me that that's almost never used in the scriptures. The more common image used in the Bible, in all translations, is the, world, is the word Pilgrimage rather than journey. And I want you to think about that as we wrap up. See, a journey is just a trip, like a tour. Visiting, tasting everything along the way, 
on a journey. A pilgrim, we don't have pilgrims anymore. Pilgrim, on the other hand, is one who, he's not sightseeing, but he's, he's, he's passing through. He's a stranger en route to a destination. He's not on a tour. A pilgrim longs for home while he's traveling through a foreign land. That's what a pilgrim does. All of this relates to the title I chose for this teaching. I refer both to being unconformed to this world and how hard that is while staying relevant to the culture. So now I want to just say, is that, is that possible? I think it is for these two important reasons. A. Only those unconformed to the world can and will speak truth to its deepest needs. Let me, let me just give you a real common example. It's not a hobby horse with me. Take a very common example. Can a person be loving toward homosexuals and yet be faithful and true to God's word? That's, that's what Christians claim. That's what we say. In fact, we... we We claim more than that. What we claim is only unconformed Christians can be truly loving to the gay community. And the reason that's so is because the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 13, 6, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So I take that to mean truthfulness is a precondition of genuine love. Truthfulness is a precondition to genuine love. So so if we don't tell the homosexual community that his or her actions are sinful, whatever we are bringing them, it might be tolerance, it might be acceptance, it might be indifference, but whatever we're bringing them is not genuine love. Because I'm called not only to be tolerant, or accepting, I'm called, I'm called to reach and love them with redemptive truth. With grace in Jesus Christ. With the graciousness of Jesus Christ. That's one reason we're relevant to the culture. Only those unconformed to the world can and will speak truth to the world's deepest needs. Two, only those unconformed to the world those whose minds are constantly renewed by the mercy of God, only those people can model the power of God's transforming mercies in Jesus Christ. This is the reason God redeemed you. Let me say something that might surprise you. God did not save you just so he could take you to heaven. God redeemed you so that you could, you could be like Paul and you could walk up to people and say, I used to be the chiefest of sinners. And God's grace reached me. And that's how I know it can reach you. So God, God wants to be, he wants his mercy to be magnified in your life in the sense that people look at the change he's made in your life and they see possibilities for theirs. Only people who tell the truth can reach a culture with redeeming truth. 
Only people unconformed to this world, transformed by the mercies of God, can model the kind of grace God can make in their lives as well. Everyone sad? <laughs>